0: Hello and a very warm welcome as you join us. Uh, Thank you for tuning in to Search for Truth. If you've been following this series, you'll know we're considering the present and unique relationship the Lord Jesus Christ can have with his disciples in the world today. Uh, And it's uh, a series of programs called Jesus as Son over God's house. Now, today is the last talk in this series and it's called The Splendour of the Architect. So let's go to Brian to learn more. Thanks, John. In London's Great Cathedral,
1: its architect, Sir Christopher Wren, lies buried. The inscription where he lies says, If you would see his monument, look all around you. But that says nothing compared to the achievement of Christ. Brothers and sisters in churches of God can look around on each other and see how from hell-deserving rubble From stones rescued from the burning, our Lord has fashioned a habitation for God in the Spirit. This is what we find written in Hebrews chapter 3. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, By just so much as the builder of the house has more honour than the house? For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant, for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope, firm until the end. From that we see that our Lord is counted worthy of a greater glory than Moses. Not just comparatively more glory, but our Lord is worthy of a greater glory, an altogether different kind of glory. You see, Moses built the tabernacle as a servant, simply carrying out instructions. Indeed, we know that every house is built by someone But the ultimate builder of all things is God. The word that's used there for builder is an expansive one, meaning to prepare thoroughly, to make everything ready, and to equip with all that's necessary. The thrust of verses 3 and 4 taken together is to assert the deity of the Lord Jesus. Here he's implicitly identified with God in keeping with what's been said earlier in chapter 1 of Hebrews. Perhaps the whole argument here runs something like this. Moses built the tabernacle, and indeed every house is built by someone. But the ultimate builder of all things is God, and Christ, God's agent in creation, has in chapter 1 been clearly shown to be God. Therefore, Christ has more honour and glory than Moses. Once Sir Christopher Wren whom we were mentioning earlier, was supervising the construction of his cathedral in London. A journalist thought it would be interesting to interview some of the workers. So he chose three of them and asked each of them this question, what are you doing? The first replied, I'm cutting stone for 10 shillings a day. The next answered, I'm putting in 10 hours a day on this job. But the third said, I'm helping Sir Christopher Wren Construct one of London's greatest cathedrals. It was a glory for that worker to be associated with Sir Christopher Wren's building, but it was an altogether different glory that belonged to the great architect himself. His name is honoured to this day, but the insightful worker is unknown by name. So Christ has a greater glory than Moses. He who is the radiance of God's glory built this magnificent universe. Literally, in Hebrews 1 and verse 2, when it says God made the worlds through his Son, it's the word ages that's used. God made the ages. Through Christ, God made those ages, but that surely means all that they contain. As in, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the one through whom God is said to act in making the world is later, in verse 8, most unambiguously Addressed as God, personally distinct from the Father, but possessed of full deity. Clearly, then, the Bible states that God the Son made the world, and that he is the ultimate builder of God's house. So Christ has a greater glory than Moses. The glory of God rested above the house in the days of Moses and Solomon. Now, The one who's personally the radiance of divine glory is himself over God's house. That's a glorious point at which to come to the conclusion of this series of studies, which have been based on the opening section of the letter to the Hebrews. And we want to sum up what we've seen. we focused on the description that's found there, a description of Jesus as son over God's house. Building up to this, we've identified five other things that are said of Jesus with reference to God's house on earth and his part in its operational ministry. And let me remind you what those five things are. They have been our titles for the last five talks. They are seeing Jesus as the purifier of sins, the royal son of David's line, the distinct fellow of the fellowship, the great example of faithfulness and the builder of God's house. Taken together we are suggesting they illuminate this overarching title which he bears, A Sun Over God's House. If you've missed out on hearing about any of these, then you can always review the podcast for each programme or apply for the transcript booklet. I'd encourage you to do that because they do merit further study and our time on air is so limited. In conclusion today, we want to ask, What should it matter to us that Jesus is Son over God's house? To those who were and are dubious about the identity of churches of God in the first or twenty-first century, the Holy Spirit plainly wanted to lift up the person and work of the Lord Jesus in the relation he bears to God's house by showing how committed he is to it. The author to the Hebrews warns time and again, against treating lightly the responsibility and privilege of being found in a church of God within God's house. The five specific warnings around which the letter is structured are the dangers of neglecting the things spoken of by the Lord and his apostles, you find that in chapter 2, the danger of failing to hold the confidence and hope that's integral to our being God's house, you find that in chapter 3, The danger of hardening our hearts against a spiritually settled lifestyle. You find that in chapters 3 and 4. The danger of falling away from the things which accompany salvation. You can read about that in chapter 6. And finally, the danger of sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, which you can read about in chapter 10. All five of these warnings seem to be making essentially the same point. And indeed, the point needed repetition, for it seems that some in the first century were preparing to withdraw from the New Testament community, as it was expressed then throughout the interlinked churches of God. The line of demarcation around these churches then, coupled with their distinctive stand for uncompromising truth, could make them an uncomfortable place to be. The appeal of an easier life By merging back into mainstream Judaism, again, at times must have been felt strongly, especially when pressure came from family members from whom their stand had ostracised them. Perhaps on the brink of departure, some wavering disciples, who'd previously been so committed in their devotion to the apostles' teaching, began gradually to rationalise that their defections were not such a big deal after all. That was wrong thinking then, and it's wrong thinking today. For two vital questions remain to be answered by each generation of Christians. One, is there a unique, God-given, biblical pattern for God's house in every age? And secondly, are there any plain biblical instructions of the Lord which we feel can be safely ignored? If our answers to these questions are yes to the first, and no to the second, that is, yes, there is a plain pattern in God's word, and no, there are no individual instructions that we feel safe, that we can ignore, then together these answers bring us to the point of view that we're going to find ourselves inevitably in an exclusive position, because it's exclusive of everything that's not according to the Lord's own pattern. We simply must buy into this, just as the very first readers of the Hebrews' letter were being asked to. Sure, it's not always comfortable, but must we not quit ourselves like men? To do or think otherwise is wrong, for it robs of its potency the astounding revelation of this greatest Bible-teaching letter, the letter to the Hebrews. It's a revelation of Jesus as Son over God's house. He's the one whom we can relate to today in his ongoing operational ministry in heaven with us relating to him from the vantage point of being in God's house on earth, the house over which he serves faithfully. And so as we conclude this series, I wonder if you've really got to grips with this message of the Hebrews letter. You'll know you have, when it evokes in you something similar to Jacob's great awakening, as is recorded in Genesis 28 and verse 17, when he declared how awesome it was to be in God's house. Christ sits at God's right hand after the cross to give rest and stability, to give victory and purity to our lives of service in God's house today.
2: Amen. It is glory just to walk with Him, He will guide my steps to through the veil and all the heights. It is glory just to walk with Him, It is glory just to walk with Him, whose blood has ransomed me. It is rapture for my soul each day, It is joy divine to feel Him near, wherever my path may be. Bless the Lord, His glory all the way. It is glory just to walk with him, it is glory just to walk with him, he will count my steps are right, through the veil and all the heights, it is glory just to walk with
0: him. So I hope you enjoyed today's study and the series if you've been following, and if you've any comments or questions about today's talk or the series, Brian would be pleased to help, or if you'd like to send for the transcript booklet which goes with this series, please ask for the title, Jesus as Son over God's House. There are also back issues of other titles which you might like to download via the internet or order through Amazon. Now, I'll tell you how to do this in a moment, but first, here's our postal and email address. Search for Truth, Church of God, Downing Drive, Leicester LE5, 6Ln, United Kingdom. Here's our email address Sft at churchesofgod.info. You can also download audio versions of some past programs. You go to www.searchfortruth.org.uk. This is our church website where you can also access additional helpful material. That's www.searchfortruth.org.uk Some titles of Search for Truth booklets are also available at Amazon. Go to amazon.co.uk forward slash Kindle ebooks and type search for truth series into the search box where you'll find a growing list of transcript books from previous programs is available. So thanks for the pleasure of your company today. We do appreciate you spending time with us. Next week we start a brand new series called Who Am I? where we consider what the Bible teaches about each one of us. So I hope you can join us. Until then, it's very best wishes from Brian, David, our musicians and me, John. So goodbye and may God richly bless you.
2: Just to walk with him, he will guide my steps around through the veil and all the heights. It is glory just to walk with.